Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. So this is a fun sort of pop culture question, asking two divorce lawyers about dating. That's <laughs> yeah. going to be the oddest question. It, well, there's got to be what? I said that must be the oddest question. To yeah, ask well, and that's lawyer. what I said when I first started. I said, like, people are probably wondering, like, what two divorce lawyers have to say about dating after divorce. But I don't know about you, Steve, but I actually get questions uh, on this very topic uh, from some of my clients uh, because, as you know, uh, as a divorce lawyer, we're not always just giving uh, divorce advice or legal advice. Sometimes, you know, clients do look to us uh, almost as a not as a therapist, because we're not qualified to be therapists, but, you know, for general life advice, almost coaching kind of advice. And I've had more than one client ask me before about dating or having issues with their ex dating, which is maybe more often the case. Um, so I think this is a great topic. And it's a fun one for us to chat about today. Yeah. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is when people say, you know, what do divorce lawyers have to say about dating and romance the fact of the matter is quite a bit because <laughs> we see a lot of crashes and when you see so many crashes it's very easy to begin developing an understanding of some common practices that can actually lead to disastrous relationships which then of course lead to divorce so we've seen a lot and so therefore we do have a perspective and we also have a personal perspective because we're both divorced ourselves and we both have dated after divorce. Uh, right. I know you're remarried, but you know, so we actually have that perspective as well. And for those that don't know, I, one, of, one of the various hashtags that I've used in the past is life after divorce. And one of the common themes in the advice that I give my clients in their darkest moments is I try to show them the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, because this uh, period called divorce or divorcing has the beginning, a middle, and an end. And there is no law that requires the end to begin, the end to be achieved before a romantic relationship begins. Um, for some, they think, well, that's adultery or cheating, but actually, technically, it's not adultery if you've ended your uh, conjugal or spousal relationship and you're not yet divorced, you are permitted to date. And so if you're permitted to date, why is it that so few people begin starting a new romantic relationship uh, and, until after they've finished and wrapped up their divorce with their existing relationship. And that is one of the things that you and I need to talk about today. Yeah, I think that that's an important topic because, uh, you know, I, I, this is a topic where you could ask five different people and you could get five different opinions. So we're coming at it, you know, is, with our experience with clients and what we've seen happen um, when people start dating too, you know, what I might deem too soon or, um, you know, not holding off. And so, you know, I'll, what we're simply providing today for listeners are you know, some general tips on how to um, avoid maybe some of the pitfalls people can find themselves in with dating after divorce um, and having it perhaps impact on their proceedings um, or their you know potential for an agreement and things like that because once you're divorced so why don't you start um, with the negative get that out of the way first and then we'll go to the positives okay so we promised our good. viewers that we would talk about the risks and the advantages 
let's let's knock off the risks first. So I'm going to get the ball rolling. Uh, one thing that I've seen as a divorce lawyer uh, with people that have uh, begun a romantic relationship uh, after they declared their separation. I'm not, by the way, going to be dealing with adulterous situations right now. That's a whole other kettle of worms. But for those people that ended a relationship, they're not yet divorced, and then they start dating, they start going on to dating apps and start dating other people and actually go as far as having one very serious relationship that they, uh, a person that they're in love with, maybe even leading to cohabitation. Um, so for that category of person, let me tell you some of the risks or negative elements that I have seen. In that situation, number one, it irks the other person who has not moved on yet. And that is a very mild way to say it increases the temperature of the divorce. It makes the non-coupled person more anxious, more upset, uh, and sometimes more vengeful. So that does have an influence on the experience of divorce for the person that has moved on. And so to put it in their face or to put it onto Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and, and shooting emails to all the old friends and family members about it, that sort of behavior, although might be part of the person's therapeutic journey in going from being in a, in a um, unhealthy relationship to now being in a healthy relationship and wanting to share that experience with those around them, it does have the byproduct of upsetting the other side, which then does have its negative consequences. What do you think? Um, well, I definitely agree with that. I think that that's something that can happen. Um, sometimes, too, another negative consequence that I see happening is um, if someone gets into another relationship, um, then what sort of ends up happening is that new partner or, you know, new boyfriend, girlfriend, they start putting their two cents into what's going on between that person and the partner they're trying to, you know, divorce from. And it often complicates things because they, you know, they're adding to uh, another voice uh, to the situation that may or may not be correct in what they're saying. They may have had their own experience and their own separation or divorce, and they may be bringing elements of that to it, or may, they may have their own, you know, acts to grind or feelings about the other, the, the, the ex party, and they can sometimes add fuel to the fire and make things more difficult. Um, one example I've seen happen is where they show up at court um, and, you know, want to be sitting by their partner's side. And, you know, I generally tell clients that's not a good idea. There's no reason that they need to be there if it's going to add fuel to the fire it's better for them to stay away um but that can often be a, a very much a complicating factor and it, it's a it's a fair comment um sometimes we've called that the cheerleading syndrome where the new partner becomes a cheerleader or fans the flame of conflict um just as much as that can occur the exact opposite can occur with the new partner uh, some will claim that uh, the person who is in a new relationship is much calmer, much happier, much more prepared to live with the consequences of their separation and divorce and ready to move on because they see the next chapter of their life already occurring and they tend to be more willing in some cases to make concessions and to move on. So that new partner can have the, point, the, the effect that you mentioned, also the contrary effect. 
Um, another risk or disadvantage that I've seen is it's not uncommon in new relationships for one person to either receive gifts from their new partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, or to give gifts to their new partner, boyfriend, girlfriend. And the effect of that, although in many cases, the actual dollar value might not be particularly significant, but the effect of it, when people are bickering over property division and support, can actually be exacerbated. And I have seen time and time again, people put into court documents, affidavits, case conference briefs that, you know, he or she, uh, they went away, they traveled, he or she bought them items, lingerie, clothing, trips, jewelry, almost to point out that there seems to be a surplus of money, yet the person is saying that they're unable to afford the support. So be very careful because not only goes to my earlier point about the person that's not in a new relationship already being primed for upset and potential uh, feelings of vengeance, but then combined with them seeing uh, credit card statements or evidence of money being spent on the new partner can actually exacerbate and then be used as though it's material for the litigation or for the mediation or for the conflict. Oftentimes it really isn't. Uh, someone goes and buys you know, a new jacket or a new sweatshirt or a, a bouquet of flowers. It doesn't mean that they have any extra money, but it can, use, it can be used in a twisted sort of way. And I say, just be careful. Well, one of the other things, too, I think people have to be very careful of because it can have a negative impact is you have to always be mindful of your children. And, you know, when children's when their when their parents split up, um, you know, that's generally a somewhat traumatic or can be a very traumatic event in those children's lives. And it's a big change, particularly if the children you know are young and they're living at home. And I, parents need to be very mindful um, of, you know, before introducing their children to new partners and things like that. I've seen situations happen where the children don't like the new partner um, and they don't want to spend time at their, you know, that parent's home because of the new partner. So it can create some conflict sometimes with respect to the parenting schedule. Um, so I think it's, it, and sometimes when parents have a new partner, they, you know, have a tendency to force the children to do everything with them and their new partner and you know children still need alone time with their parent they don't always want you know even if they like the new partner they still probably don't want the new partner there all the time and so it's really important to still be very child focused and to keep that in mind that you know this new person that you may be madly in love with it may take time before your children accept them and you can't force it that's a brilliant point it's it's one that we as lawyers oftentimes don't counsel on because it's, it's quite frankly, it's a psychosocial consideration. It's not a so-called legal consideration, but yet it's a very important one. Um, and oftentimes lawyers tend to be the primary advisor to a client. And given that we're not trained and we don't provide psychosocial advice or therapeutic advice, that's one of those things that many times get missed. Uh, we, pick up, we pick up on the fact that there might be a new partner, a new person in the person's life. But we're not often asked, like we are for the purposes of this show, what is the impact of a new partner? And your point, Leanne, is, is, a, is, is really a, a very important, a very critical point. And, um, and just to build on it, um, 
in a family of different children. Uh, one child might take differently to hearing about mom having a new relationship than another child. So even within the same family, there could be a different reaction. Um, and many separation agreements uh, I've seen over the years have a clause that says, if one parent wants to introduce the child uh, to a new girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, then this is a matter that requires a particular uh, method in which to deal with it. In some cases, there should be a consultation between the two parents. In some cases, there should be some sort of gradual period. I've actually seen separation agreements that say before that occurs, they must be in a steady relationship for a period of no less than blank months or a year. So uh, I've seen parents even negotiate contractual terms that deal with the role of the new partner in the life of the couple that is splitting up, which I find on one hand interesting that they are sort of mandating how new relationships occur. But really what they're doing is exactly your point, which is being cognizant of the children's own social interests through the experience, because let's not forget, children are grieving their parents' breakup. And it may be that they're still grieving while one of the parents has already passed the grieving stage. And that those two uh, periods should align otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that's so true. And I've seen it, I've seen that negotiated a little bit as well into agreements, um, you know, where, you know, both parties agree not to introduce anyone new for a minimum period of six months or a year, things like that. Um, you know, it's specific to the parties. And you know, generally, like the something like that, I don't think is a bad idea. I mean, I guess it depends how specific some of these things are getting and how restrictive as to whether um, they're ultimately good or bad. Um, now, we also mentioned we were going to talk about the, uh, the good points or the pros of dating after divorce. And you did touch upon one of them, uh, Steve, a little bit earlier, which is that, um, you know, a new partner can be a tremendous source of support, uh, uh, you know, emotional support um, to a partner who is going through separation and divorce. They can help to, you know, keep them calmer, help them to help be a sounding board, perhaps a voice of reason as well. Um, and, you know, a motivation to kind of be reasonable and move on. So they can have a very positive impact on the proceedings and just the overall healing you know, process from what I've seen of a somebody who, you know, is mentally, you know, done with the marriage and in a good place, they often, you know, do come to the table with much more reasonable positions on things and less emotion affecting them. So, you know, in that type of case, a new partner can be a very positive thing uh, with respect to the legal issues. Let me ask you something, Leanne. Have you experienced situations where your client comes to a meeting with you or a phone call with you and they say, I've got my boyfriend or my girlfriend with me and I'd like them to be part of our meeting or our phone call. And what do you I've do I've had that, that happen many times. Um, and, and what do you do with that? How do I deal with it? I mean, I, I, I ask, I, I wanna make sure that they're com like truly comfortable with it. And so I usually like to speak with them like for a few minutes at the very least on their own, just so that I'm comfortable that it is truly their their wish that they want the partner, you know, there. But I I don't have a problem with it if the partner's not involved in, you know, gonna be a witness or something to something. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it because sometimes, um, you know, the meetings can be, you know, emotional or difficult and so i think it might be good for them sometimes to have the partner there to hear things and perhaps pay attention to certain things that the 
party he's involved maybe missed because they were caught up in you know emotion or something that I said earlier so I, I don't see that as being a bad thing um, yeah like you here. say like two heads are better than one and clearly um, you know if one of them is being irrational or, or too subjective you would hope that the other one would bring some objectivity to the table so it's a similar comment that we made before um, but you know um, some of the things that concern me and, and I, I, I haven't really ever really sorted it out but when somebody brings to a meeting their new partner um on one hand of course i'm happy for them that they're in a new relationship and they've got the support and i and i and i and i explain to them the limits of confidentiality and soldier client privilege and and i ask them to waive that and i ask them if they're agreeable to having this person otherwise here uh privilege and confidential legal advice all that is standard fair but one thing that I also am concerned about is this person that I'm representing um, may very well end up in a permanent relationship with this new partner. And if that relationship ends, will I be able to later give advice to the person, to either of them, in that scenario? And will I otherwise have to uh, withdraw and not be able to provide assistance? And, it's already been so difficult for someone to force to form a relationship with a divorce lawyer once for them to have to do that again if that relationship ends. And more importantly, what if actually that relationship doesn't end? What if that relationship blossoms and I am then retained to do a prenup, a marriage contract or a cohabitation agreement with the very same person uh, opposite side of the contract that was in a meeting with me? And therefore, am I preempted and not able to assist with that person? And more importantly, even if they end up going to another lawyer to do the prenup or the marriage contract or this cohabitation agreement, has the other person learned too much uh, and therefore placed my client in jeopardy with respect to the proper protection and asset preservation that would otherwise go into a normal uh, advisory session in terms of protecting uh, whatever assets, whatever wealth they have. No, I think those are all good points. And it could, you know, there are conflicts there that it could give rise to. As you were talking, I was trying to think of situations where, it's funny, I have a, cl a client right now where they're together, but they're both going through their own divorces. So I'm representing them on their own, like separate divorces, but they don't, we don't do meetings together or anything like that. Like there's no, um, you know, no overlap of, you know, information that way, but it's just kind of interesting how they each have their own legal matter. Um, but I have had clients where I had one client, I remember not too long ago where, I mean, he insisted that his new wife be copied on every single email. He wanted her involved in everything. And if somebody forgot to add her, he would be quite upset about it. Um, he made it clear he wanted her very involved. Yeah. So let's try to wrap up on a positive note. Um, like my hashtag my comment about life after divorce, um, life is really made up of relationships. And just because one ends doesn't mean all future relationships are now uh, untouchable and not available. And so I counseled people for 30 years on the ending and the beginning of relationships. And quite frankly, I have seen a lot of people go through some dark moments. But what brings me the greatest optimism in life in general is when I see people end a relationship and then have the inner strength, the courage, and the uh, uh, 
affection for themselves that they can then move on and give affection and receive affection with others. And having a relationship both after and even possibly uh, uh, through the process of separation and divorce, quite frankly, in my books, is generally speaking a positive, so long as, so long as you keep in mind some of the considerations that you and I've talked about in the last uh, half hour. Yep, well said, and I think that's a great note to leave it on. So uh, thanks as always, Steve. Thanks to our listeners uh, and viewers, and we will be back here again next week with another topic. You got it. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.